0: And he, and he finally just said, hey, tell him he's not going in. He might as well just do it in his pants. And whatever. So <laughs> I, I'll kind of leave it at that. But it, we wore those white pants and you yeah, sweat uh, and all that. So you can just, uh, you can picture the rest.
1: Oh, baby. Yeah. What's up? Yo, yo, yo. It's Chris Kristen. Sims. Chris Sims on <laughs> Button Podcast. All the Burmeisters there. And yes, you can hear that little chuckle. You can hear him. Yes. The the big effort is on the podcast. He's listening to the opening, which is always the most awkward moment of the week for me. When your dad is listening to you be a crazy person to open up a podcast. Not really cool at all you. the time. Yep, he's laughing at me. Uh, and, you know, telling great stories as usual. I mean, he's talking about a guy shitting his pants. Okay. All right. Oh, my and, God. No, and, no. you know... Speaking of shitting his pants, I did that last week, and I'm very disappointed in myself. Episode 150, a great accomplishment for the podcast and NBC Sports. I'm still here, they didn't fire me yet, but it was my first podcast. I never said a cuss word, the whole podcast. So I'm really disappointed in my big anniversary performance, man. I really let myself down. I went back to the drawing table, self scouted thyself, and going to have lots of four-letter words today for this pod. I'm just telling you. <laughs>
0: well, you know, do us all a favor: smack yourself in the face, and you, you'll make us all feel better.
2: So you know, there you
0: go. Uh, you, you know, you should quit cursing. Okay, well, he, he, the bad habit. He, uh, I know you learned it from me, but that's okay. And yeah, we were having some good laughs. I thought we were. I thought we were on the air, you know. And so I'm telling some stories, and I said, "Oh, I'm waiting." Okay, Phil, you ready to start? Well, hell! I just used all my good materials. It's over. I don't know.
1: Well, yeah. All right. And then you just cut off our other hosts. Can you let Paul Burmeister talk for a second? Hey, listen, listen.
0: I'm the guest. I run the show. Paul, (laughs) it is great to talk to you. How are you doing, man?
2: Phil, thank you. It's good to hear your voice again. It's been a little while. Been looking forward to this, hanging out with you a little bit. And once I saw the top of the show that Chris accidentally did not swear on his last show. First of all, Chris. We're still, we still have the streak. You've dropped the f bomb every single show with me, so that's still alive. Okay. Oh my
1: god. So I like it, Paul. You bring out okay. the best of me, Paul. Way to go. That's I wonder, right. I wonder, oh I wonder, my god. To point that
2: out, and and Phil made me wonder about you as a parent because I have I have boys who are fourteen and eleven. Did did you swear around the kids when they were little, like at the dinner table? I'm sure I said curse room? words, but
0: I do not, I do not curse around the house or try not to, and and I, you know I don't really anymore, and and I don't know, Christopher, did I curse much in front of you as a young kid?
1: Uh, a decent amount, enough that I learned it at a pretty young age. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. You know. Well, then now, I, I know, listen. I, I'm not trying to throw you under the bus. I'm just trying to be honest about it. You are very yeah, good now. You've changed your approach to the point where now when you do swear, my kids are actually surprised to hear you say it because you don't cuss much and you tell them not to say bad words because, of course, I've given my kids free reign to say bad words around the house because that's the way I was parented a little bit. So. <laughs> oh, okay.
0: Well, listen, I, I come, Paul, come from a large family. Uh, there was five, mm-hmm. there were five boys and three girls. My dad was a factory worker. My mom we were farmed. they were farmers to start with. We moved to the big city, of the outskirts of Louisville, and you know we're there. And my dad worked hard and would have an occasional drink and stuff like that. He would lay on the couch. We would all be sitting on the floor because he had a, he covered the whole couch, so we had no seats. <laughs> there was one chair. My mother and the rest of us sat on the floor, and my dad would sit on the couch and be asleep, you know, snoring. I mean, he could really snore. And then yes, and he all could. of a sudden he'd go, he would just go, hey, you you effing dumb so I'll kick your ass if you do whatever. And we just go, whoa, whoa, we all start laughing and go, is he doing that to fake us out? And no, he was <laughs> talking in his sleep. And then you know, 10 minutes go by, hey, if I had to tell you one more time, I'm, I'm going to beat you lower, you know, just, oh, he just, it was the funnest thing of the night The hell of what was on TV. He was entertainment just in his dreams and talking in his sleep. So maybe that's where I got it from too. So I don't know. Yeah.
1: Between that, Paul, just so you know, between his father and then his oldest brother, Dominic, who oh is my the gosh. king of the sins family of swearing and throwing together ludicrous, crazy sentences all together. Yeah, I think Dad. You know, he had some role models in front of him that certainly led him down that pathway a little bit.
0: Paul, not that you need to know this, the fans <laughs> he, don't care. Well, he turned okay, out all well anyway. that way. So when I call my he had, brother he had to Dominic,
2: open some quite a bit. What's that? Oh go ahead.
0: Well, no, I was going to say when I, I to this day when I call my older brother Dominic that Christopher's talking about, I, I the phone rings and I'm just raising myself. Because he's going to pick it up and go, hey, you, boom, 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 boom. And, I mean, you just go, oh, my God, who can think of this stuff? I mean, it's <laughs> unbelievable. It rolls off his tongue, and it's always different. And uh, he's crazy, man. That's all I can say. So He is crazy. Oh, well. He is. So, Paul, I'm glad to know you're doing well. How old are your kids now?
2: My boys are 14 and 11. Oh right my up. gosh. Well, let's, fast, what, you know.
0: what what am I going to see you? As soon as this is over, we got. can they throw? Your, your oldest boy, can he throw?
2: Yeah, he throws it pretty well. And I was hoping to come down. I, I texted you right before everything changed about coming down and watching yes. the quarterbacks together, maybe bringing a boy down to throw, but obviously uh, that's not an option right now. So when some normalcy comes back, I'll be showing up at your house for sure.
0: Well good. It'll be this summer or you know, it won't be long, I hope, that we are at least allowed to go out on fields and throw the football around, stuff like that. So when that time comes you will definitely get together. It'll be a lot of fun. It'll be a lot of fun for your son being young and all that to see a lot of the yes. other kids that are not much older than him that we've trained for a few years, so it'll be a great learning experience for, for him and he'll have a lot of fun doing it too. He'll he'll get to hear my son Matt do his thing because his mouth, he doesn't care if you're five years old, it comes out of his mouth just like Christopher's, so <laughs> I'm sorry. You just just got to break yourself for it. So okay. So what's going
1: on in the world of sports and football that we need to talk about? Where do you want to go, Paul? Go ahead. Lead
2: us lead us down the right the right road here. Well, to keep it on the lighthearted path, we did notice a little tweet that featured your father here a little bit earlier. I think this uh, I saw this for the first time today with Phil getting sent out on the bat signal out there across giant country. There it is, right there. And, Phil, the first thing I thought of, you look like Jim McMahon back on the 1985 Bears right there. Chris, what do you think?
1: Well, yeah, I know what this – this is like uh, – so, first off, yeah, this is the 1986 season, the 85 – right after the 85 season where the Bears and McMahon became so famous. And Dad, up in that hair. picture uh, – Well, and you're wearing the headband. I think you're doing that Adidas – uh, photo shoot where you had a, a a headband on that might have said Phil on it or whatever it may be. You got your cool shades on. I want to say it's that, oh, that photo was, shoot you did was, with Joe Morris and Jim Burt.
0: Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, my God. Those shirts. Yes. Now, that was right before towards the end of the year when they thought we might be going to the Super Bowl. Joe Morris, me, and Jim Burt did that shoot. Yes. Yes. Right. I thought you were going right. to say right before camp that year. I basically had the Jim McMahon haircut, where I, you couldn't have you couldn't have pinched my hair; it was so short on top of my head. And everybody at all camp, every reporter, are, are you trying to do what Jim McMahon? So y'all can go to the, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's why I did it. I think if I cut my hair like Jim McMahon, we'll go to the Super Bowl. But yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, whatever. That, I thought that's what you're going to talk about. Yes, I remember that photo shoot very much, and um, not one of my better moments. But that's the way it goes.
1: Yeah, and I don't know what they're doing in this tweet that they're calling out for you to come save the day like you're Batman. Somebody needs to tell that giant fan that, you know, Batman's old now and he can't help your football team anymore. It's in Daniel Jones' hands. All right. That's so, it. hey, Phil, yeah, that's right. You know, you were cool. You had your moment to be Batman. You're not Batman up here in Gotham anymore.
0: Well, you know, we had uh, what would I call Parcells and Lawrence Taylor. Uh, So I couldn't be Batman because they were like the Terminator and something else. Uh, Batman (laughs) is just way too soft for either one of those two. So (laughs) we just played played the role. I was the commissioner or something. I don't know. But it was uh, quite a time between the two of them. My gosh, I could write five books. I really could. There's no doubt about it. You know, people say things to me, and we all know this about sports. You can remember, I can remember my first play in my fifth grade, the first time I ever played football in the fifth grade. I can remember the first play. Uh, Things like that. That's You know, in sports, you just remember everything. So when you're around characters like Bill and Lawrence, their actions were so unique and, you know, out of place and different, whatever you want to say, that you remember them. So...
1: But uh, you know what, while you're on the this subject, re- well, just while you're on this subject, real quick, I didn't mean it to go this way, but just because it's kind of relevant right now, Lawrence Taylor being from North Carolina, and, you know, now we're right now, he was there at school with Michael Jordan. I mean, it's yeah, amazing to think about the best player in the NFL and the best player in the NBA were at the same school, walking around the same campus at the same time. Do you do you remember Lawrence and Michael hanging out were they friends i know you hung with michael a few times here and there like i I, i'm just curious i don't know if i've ever really asked you that question before
0: no you have not yes i knew they were very good friends in fact lawrence was down in north carolina on a saturday night called me and said hey i'm playing golf tomorrow with michael we need a fourth i want you to come down here and be my partner and bring your checkbook or bring cash (laughs) if you got it and i was like oh man i'm coming let me and, you know, it was hard to get a flight there or whatever, so I called him I said, look, I can't make it, man. Whatever, so you know what was going on. But, yes, I knew they were very good friends, playing a lot of golf when they were pros, but they were good friends from what I understand, just talking to Lawrence in college. And he, Lawrence used to play a lot of basketball with him, too.
2: And, wow. And, you
0: know, I can imagine when he was in college that he could literally probably hang in there pretty well with him playing, playing, because he was trimmer. And I played basketball with Lawrence maybe in our fifth or sixth year, something like that, or fifth. I don't know when we were doing all those games. We'd go out to high schools and play in front of the all the kids and play against the teachers and stuff like that. He was right. an excellent basketball player, could really shoot and, you know, all that stuff. And, of course, in his young days, could really run and just dunk it any way he wanted. He'd, by then, he really – he could still dunk, but it wasn't like he could run up there and jump and – slam it behind his head and all those type of things. But, uh, right. yeah, I know he was a great basketball player in college. So, yeah. And I, I would think to this day, they still play a lot of golf together. Maybe not as much as they used to, you know, um, uh, but I, I know they still do play a lot and, uh, they're, they're great friends.
2: Yeah. Phil, you turned down a chance to go play, play golf with Jordan and LT. I'm wondering what you had to do that day that you couldn't go down there and hang out with those guys.
0: Oh, it wasn't what I had to do. I just couldn't make it work, Paul. I couldn't get a flight and get down there. <laughs> That's all. I, he listen, wasn't I was worried about us,
1: Paul. Don't worry. He wasn't worried about spending the Sunday with his family. Trust me. He was going to play golf probably on Sunday anyway. So he figured, what's the difference if it's in North Jersey or North Carolina? It didn't really matter. Okay. Okay. Now, Paul, listen.
2: <laughs> yes. Again, He's
0: lying. On weekends, <laughs> no, I was not. always around these kids, and we played sports, we swam, we played hoops, we played wiffle ball, we did whatever, all the time. We did it right. more in my era, as when I was a father, than the fathers do now. And yes, so, I, I
1: would agree with that.
0: So, so the, the, Christopher, see, you're exploiting the truth, son.
1: Yeah, that's Man. what I'm here to do, and more interesting than right, that. Way. That's it's okay.
2: <laughs> All right, well, Phil, I think we're going to keep the keep some of these stories going here. I've got a list of Ask Me Anything questions here from social we've collected uh, for you and for Chris. We start with Karan, who says, what was Chris and Phil's welcome to the NFL moment? And Phil, I think you started the, uh, the interest here last week by talking about going against the Steel Curtain in preseason way back in the day.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right. Yes, yes. You got any other ones, Dad, you,
1: know, you know, like any other ones other than that Steelers moment that, you know, jumps out to you? Maybe when you became a starter where you just went, oh, my gosh, I'm I'm in the NFL. This is real.
0: Um, You know, uh, really, besides that very first game, you know, after that, it was kind of normal for me. <clears throat> and, you know, I, everybody goes, oh, how are you adjusting to the fact that you're now playing in New York with a pro team and not at Morehead State? You know, hell, I don't know. It's. Just, I just, I mean, I know it's different, but I, I think I'm adjusted. I, I adjusted after a couple of days of practice, you right. know, you throw a ball and somebody intercepts it and you go, Whoa, that should have been a completion in Moorhead, but here, <laughs> so, you know, you adjust fast as a quarterback. And uh, I can't remember. I just remember playing maybe my first start against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and they were really good. They were five and oh, I think we were oh and five and man, they could, they talk trash. That was one thing. I was like, wow. I mean, they, and it was big time and it was personal and it was in today's world, not accepted. Uh, it, Who was,
2: was, doing it, the it most, was unbelievable. Though? And it was the worst. I'm just
0: looking at them. You know, you know, me, what do you think I did? Christopher
1: uh, gave it right back to them.
0: Oh man. I just, Hey, my tongue, I went in full fledged, just, you know, everything at them. And, it just, I was like, God, I guess this is the way it is. And and But the great thing is, as I've told you guys many times, m- most of my career, uh, th- the cameras and the broadcasts were so different that they didn't always have the camera in the face of the player where you could read lips and stuff like that. But that kind of stuff did go away very fast. By, I'd say by my second or third year, the trash talking on the field was much, much less than it was my first year or two. That's for sure.
1: Well, when you when you talk about like the Steelers being, you know, you're welcome to the NFL moment, how about your, what's your first huge hit you took in the NFL that you can remember? Like the first one where you went, holy crap, you know, that oh, that rattled my brain or, you know, is there one that jumps out? I know your most famous hit will always be your Mark Gastineau preseason hit, right? Uh, no, that
0: was actually during the season.
1: That was regular this,
0: season. That was a regular season, yes, where Gary Shirk was standing over the middle wide open, and here comes Mark Gassin, free, 3 and I go, man, you know, it's amazing. You think, i got to make a decision here that's really rough. So I rose up, got on my tippy toes, stood on top of his head, and just left my chest wide open, and he put that big head right in the middle of my chest. And my chest, of course, had blood on it, this and that. And for about, I'd say five, 10 years, every time I would stretch my shoulders back, my chest would pop.
1: Yeah, so, I did. Like little, I think it was more than that.
0: Yeah, it probably was. But yeah, that was between that. And of course, you know, Reggie White, I've told all those stories. Reggie White, of course, just hit you, grabbed you, fell on you. He was awesome at it. And, and I told this story, him and Jerome Brown, the cold day in New York, the Randall cutting him 90 yard punt. I think it was that day. Really cold, extremely windy. Yeah. Oh, my God! I was like, "Oh, I hope we can run the ball, but I' drop it my back and pass, and it's just an avalanche, and they just crush me, and they pick me up, both of' them, pat me on the rear and that's it. Hang in there, man. You can do it. Hang in there you get come on hang in and I'd always tell you I've said this story many times ago with the were they saying that with like Add a way to hang in there and be tough, or were they just going? We want to beat your ass until there's nothing left. <laughs> <laughs> So I wasn't sure which way it was, but over time I realized it was like a compliment from Reggie them because, you know, I, just the fact that I would stand there and try to throw it as they were hitting me, they loved that about probably about any quarterback. So uh, that's right. Yeah, but well, there, there's so guys. Kevin Green, uh, last one. Kevin yeah. Green out in Los Angeles in 1989. Was playing against our right tackle. He was young. And he was just having a party. And I mean, he just, and I was playing like crap. And, And then my ankle hurt. I had a brace on it. And it was, you know, it's the worst thing for a quarterback. And he hits me. And finally, he hits me one time really hard. I go to the ground. I'm laying on the ground. He's laying there. He goes, man, sorry, Phil. And I said, I don't care, Kevin. I deserve it. I'm playing like crap. And he just looked at me like, there's something wrong with you. And he <laughs> walked away. It was, it was awesome. And then Richard Denton was another one. You know, he hated me. He really did. Why? And Well, because we played them. We were good teams. And sometimes I would celebrate, maybe say some things I shouldn't have, after we scored or threw a touchdown. And he just hated that act. And I heard him say it on the radio. We are going down to play him on um, uh, Monday night. Right, and I'm thinking, oh man, Richard Dent's gonna kill my ass tonight, and of course he did. We beat him, and I threw a touchdown in the left corner in Chicago, and I mean it was dropped back, and I flicked it with my wrist as quick as I could because here he came, and it was about the sixth or seventh time he's gonna hit me. He hits me, lays on me, doesn't get up, turns and looks and seizes a touchdown. He's mad, so he kind of punches me. You know, not bad, just like oh. And I looked at him, I said, I looked at him, I said, are you having a good time? He goes, I sure am, man. <laughs> and it was, like, <laughs> <laughs> That's and it was awesome. like, that was the end. After that, we were buddies. You know, that was right. the moment, you know, okay. I, because I did, I looked at him, I said, are you having a good time? Because he must have just, he was digging my ass in that dirt or that grass. Thank God it was grass then, not that dirt. Yeah, desert. seriously. So, yeah. So another well, yeah, story, let's talk a little football. Got-
1: well, I oh, almost watched you die on the AstroTurf a few years before that, when we were in Chicago for the Monday night football game. So yeah, I was glad it was uh, grass too. Um, yeah, me too. Real My, my, my coming to the moment NFL, Paul, it's not as sexy as dad's, but still was like a, a, a real thing for me. All right. And now mine was training camp. It's not a game. It's nothing. It's our first full pad practice and Tampa and you know we're at Disney World the wide world of sports right that's where we had our training camps dad used to come and visit me there and dad used to he used to come down to our two a day practices and we we practiced pretty real and it was a tough training yeah. camp and, and hard and of course it was hotter than fucking hell down there all right so for the, for the whitest man for the whitest man in America it was tough out there all right uh but I don't know if I was ever more nervous in my whole career in a game or anything than the first padded practice. One, I'm still trying to learn John Gruden's offense. And I'm, I'm intimidated by that because every day I had a new group of plays that I knew I was going to have to be able to spit out my mouth and be able to, you know, orchestrate it in my brain and then go out there and, and execute it on the field. But two, you know, it, it was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Tampa two defense. They took pride. It was the full first padded practice. They were letting the offense know like nothing's coming today. It's going to be a rough day. And Warren Sapp was standing up and holding court and telling all the offensive linemen how he's going to kick their ass that day. And Derek Brooks is chiming in. And I just, I remember sitting there going, oh, I mean, I'm just hyperventilating and stretch going. I wasn't this nervous for Texas, Oklahoma the last two years. I mean, I, that was really my big moment as far as like, wow, Uh, this is NFL and these guys are grown men and they're ready to practice today. Uh, I think that would jump out to me. And, you know, there was a few moments in my rookie years of sitting on the sideline where I just couldn't believe what I was seeing in front of me. You know, my rookie year was the uh, Peyton Manning 21.4 minute comeback in the end of the fourth quarter. Right. There was that. We had a few unbelievable game ending experiences that year with the defending champion Bucks and, uh, all of it was a shock. But that one moment in training camp was one where, yeah, like I said, I, I almost wanted to throw up. I was I was nervous as hell sitting there stretching and, and sweating my ass off. Uh, I remember
0: I mean, when I Paul, first got – When you were in college, what did you have? Do you have a moment where like that you're in there in practice or something? And but...
2: I, I can remember. I remember getting hit for the first time that was like you, a real college hit. Like it was full speed in practice, which it was all the time back then. And just one of those big linemen coming through and hit me. I was running the option. I forget what team I was emulating down there on the scout team. But somebody came through and put their head down and hit me in the chin. And I, it gave me something to think about for three or four days. I mean, not three or four <laughs> minutes, but three or four days. I thought oh long and hard gosh. about what I was doing. And if this is something I really want to want to keep doing. But that's, uh, <laughs> all, that's right. all it was at, at Did AGT. you run the option in high school? Not at all, Phil. I, oh, I did not so you're doing something now that all. you
0: really don't want to do because you've never – yeah, okay. Oh, Correct. my gosh. Yes. It, I also awful.
2: recall – I recall, and you guys will appreciate this, at, at mini camp, my one and only mini camp with the Vikings, it was just helmets, no pads. And I remember feeling like a little sigh of relief in the meeting room, like, okay, we're just going to kind of ease into this. We're going to go out there, maybe <laughs> half speed, three-quarter speed. And I remember walking from Winter Park through the, the weight room – through the meeting room and opening that door to the indoor practice facility, and there was a defensive end and an offensive tackle going full speed like it was a game before practice even started with no pads on. Oh and I remember gosh. that moment very well, thinking, "What? Uh, we, we don't have pads on. We're not supposed to go this far." Uh, but that's <laughs> that, that's how it worked in May in the NFL, and that was a, a very much an eye-opening moment. Oh, that's great.
0: Well, that probably hasn't changed. You know, when you go with no pads, the defense is always, yeah, uh, you know beating up people there. Oh, I had you. You wouldn't have got. yeah. Okay. You know, we, 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 you know, if it was live, the running back would have cut you. So how's that feel? Big boy. You know, right, but right. yeah, it was, those, those kind of practices sometimes were the worst, you know, as a quarterback, you had to worry about one thing was your throwing hand. Cause they're always yeah. around you and hitting somebody's helmet, the face, whatever. That was always a big concern of mine. I just, You know, once I got established in the NFL, hell, I wouldn't even throw it. I'd just hold it and just say, all right, let's go to the next play. I'm not going to throw with all these idiots so close to me like this. So, All
1: right, Paulie, let's go to the next one. Let's get some more in. Oh, we got more questions. Okay.
2: This is from Chad Barrett. He said, uh, what is your biggest or most frivolous purchase from your playing days, Chris? So, I'm looking forward to hearing this. And, Phil, you can think about yours and jump in on the back end, too.
1: Well, mine's mine's definitely going to be something, probably a watch. In fact, it I, it's the watch I got on right now. I'm not going to lie. What kind is it? You see it right there? It's called the Zenith, a Zenith watch. It's titanium and uh, gold. Okay, uh, so yeah, it, it's it's a really cool watch. I bought it for a good cause. Okay, at a charity event. Well, yeah. it was, it was for a real good cost. Then, you know, listen, full transparency. I think I paid like $22,000 for it. What, what, oh was, my I gosh. Yeah, what was I thinking? Yeah. What was I thinking? I don't know. I was young, dumb and you know, full of yeah, yeah, nonsense yeah. is what I was yeah. an idiot. All right. What was the charity? What I can't remember. It was something through Jeff Garcia and I can't remember exactly. So I thought, Oh, this is a good purchase, whatever else. And let me just tell you, I have had more issues with this watch, okay? (laughs) And I'm still convinced that the jeweler that provided some of these things for us to bid on at this charity, he put one out there that he knew was not working correctly. And I'm telling you, I've spent thousands of dollars to fix it. And I just got it fixed finally, like, I think for good, uh, just here recently. So that was probably some of the dumbest stuff I ever did. I had another watch that I bought a little later on in my uh, career too. And I ended up buying dad one too. Those would probably be the dumbest things I really spent, you know, money on and at least was frivolous with.
0: Well, maybe that watch you bought for me, I'll show it to you. That damn thing broke within the first month I had it. <laughs> so, but I still have it and I'm going to get it fixed, but it's been sitting there almost since you get I said, you know, I got this watch fixed. And, and I know the exact watch you're talk, uh, talking about, but right. my All pro, right. so, my big first yeah. purchase as a pro was a gold chain to put around my neck. Oh, <laughs> I mean, How man, long did you everybody wear? had gold chains back in the 70s. I go, God, I'd, I'd love to have a gold chain. And, you know, of course, never could have one during college or anything like it growing up. So when I came. To the Giants, I got one of those. Nothing really big, but just one that went around your neck. That was it. And Where'd you go uh, to get it? That, I can't even remember. I can't remember. But I pa, had he
1: a wore it for every, a long time, Paul. A long time. I mean, I mean yeah, I did. How long is long? In like, the late years.
2: 80s? No, I didn't wear it that long. But oh, I still okay. see pictures
0: of me with shirts on. There's that gold chain. I go, oh, my God, look at that thing. It right. wasn't that it wasn't really it wasn't nothing like, Oh my gosh, that's the most unbelievable. It was just a normal gold chain, you know. Right. Kind of a yeah, so you know, well, whatever. And it Parcell's had used to tell you, I wasn't he you know, we didn't know each other. He would he would tell all young players come and he would go to Hey guys, listen to me. Two things. Don't go out and buy no damn fancy car and don't spend any money on jewelry, okay? You know, this thing doesn't last as long as you think it's going to last. <laughs> and, he, right. like, hey, thanks for the pep talk, coach. But kind of <laughs> right, too, though.
2: Yes, so. definitely. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Chad's got another one, and this is more this is more football-related, guys. Uh, Chad says, out of all the quarterbacks available this free agency and the draft, why did the Colts decide to pay old man no-arm Rivers, his words, not mine, over cheaper options like Jameis, Dalton, et cetera, or potentially better Options like Cam. I don't agree with that. What do you What do you think, guys? Chris, what do you think? Okay, I'll lead it off. Well, okay. There's a few things. You know,
1: first off, there's a little familiarity with Philip Rivers. Okay, you know, the Frank Reich, the offensive coordinator. They, they've had the history with him, so that's always going to make an organization feel better as far as they know what they're getting. Hey, Philip Rivers. Yeah, the arm is not special, but that doesn't mean anything, especially when it comes to him. All right. And I know he, he had some mistakes last year. Certainly was careless with the football at times, but also, you know, man, he still makes a lot of plays. He really does. When you break him down and watch him on film, you go, wow, man, does he stand in that pocket and push the ball down the field? I mean, listen, no arm rivers, Hey, Mike Williams, the receiver on the chargers, he had 49 catches for over a thousand yards. So they weren't throwing him bubble screens and crap like that. They were pushing the ball down the field. So I think between that and his experience, Jameis is less trustworthy than a guy like Philip Rivers. Also Jameis, there's some other issues as far as just off the field stuff with, with him. Andy Dalton at the time, we don't know what the Bengals were asking for in trade. I do think the, the Indianapolis Colts were very interested in Andy Dalton. But for some reason at that time, I don't know what it was, why it wasn't being worked out. Obviously, the Bengals were asking for too much because they've released him now, and now he got to sign with anybody he wants. So I think we hit – was it Jameis, Andy Dalton, and who was the other name we hit on? Was that it? I think that was it. Cam. But...
2: They threw out their oh, Cam, Cam as
1: well. Well, Cam – we don't know anything with Cam right now. You know, we, we don't know. So that was too risky at the time. They couldn't wait around to see, oh, well, oh, we won't sign any quarterback and we'll wait till Cam gets healthy in April. Oh, wait, wait, April's over. He's not ready yet. Oh, we'll wait till May. Oh, wait, May's not ready yet. So when do you do it? So they, they went with something that they felt comfortable with in Phillip Rivers, and I understand that.
0: Yeah, I would say this. First off about Cam Newton, even if he was completely healthy, I don't know if he would have been the guy anyway because that right. would have meant probably paying him even more money, whatever. But, you know, and and I hate to say this, he does not fit the way they run their offense. It's not a great match. And you go, well, change the offense to fit him. I, you know, I don't think they want to do that right now. I think they want to go with what they got. Because I think that when you look at the Colts and look at what they've done, during the offseason, how they're drafting, everything, getting Phillip Rivers. They think they're a big-time playoff team.
1: Right, I'm I'm
0: positive they think that way. And Phillip Rivers, you know, Andy Dalton, I do believe he would have been their first choice, but it couldn't get done. And I heard Andy Dalton talking the other day, like, you know, he he was careful with his words, but basically, boy, are you guys going to keep me? If not, let me go, do something, let me – Give me a chance to get in a good position when I leave here. Well, I think he landed in a great spot, you know, money-wise and being comfortable right near his house where he grew up and played at TCU and all that. And the thing about Phillip Rivers, he's going to have a running game. Yes, he does not have the strongest arm in the world, there's no question. But what he does have, he is a great anticipation to throw the football. And he is a fearless thrower, too. And they have a very precise offense in their past game, I think, in Indianapolis. Uh, And and it was really disappointing. And, Paul, Christopher, I I would think you would agree, the first year Frank Reich was there, I was going, man, you know, I worked with Boomer Esiason, who was roommates with Frank Reich, down in Maryland. And I go, Boomer, man, your boy is doing things that I haven't seen. These are like new systems or new thoughts or plays for the NFL. And, you know, Boomer goes, really? You think so? I said, hell, I know so. I mean, I'm just, it's really creative. I love what they're doing and we're, we're doing. And then last year it, it didn't come out that way. And, you know, I don't know if it's was Jacoby, whatever it was, it just seemed like a different football team and the way they were calling plays and designing plays. So Phillip rivers, uh, I think he's a good one year option to see what they can do or whatever, maybe two, if it really is just goes really well and he hangs in there, but it's, um, I think that really down deep, besides maybe an adult, and they got the guy they wanted.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I think Phil brings up two really good points, too. There's a lot of good stuff in there, Phil. But if I can carve out two words, it's fearless and anticipation. I was going to say he's a courageous thrower who makes a habit out of throwing it on time and even ahead of time. But those are two words you can't attach to a lot of quarterbacks. And I know he's getting up no. there in age. But in addition to the reliability, he's not afraid to cut it loose down the field. And he throws it before those receivers get out of cuts as well as any, any yeah. quarterback in the league. So I, um, I don't want to be too well, much of a fan here, but I think he has a lot to bring to that offense. And I'm excited to see it in a new place.
0: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm anxious to see if it works. Listen, when you talk about guys that really anticipate throws, who are those guys?
2: Besides him, him, who are those Drew,
0: quarterbacks? Those are quarterbacks and, that don't have cannons for arms.
1: Right, Drew so Brees, they, right, they, yeah.
0: Yeah, their whole life they've had to anticipate throws because they don't want to wait, see it, and then try to, you know, right. uh, it, it gives it away to the defense. They can't wait and see it and then try to drill it in there. And that, you mm-hmm. know, Thor Rivers' arm was always better than people thought. And, and Christopher, I don't know, and, and Paul, we know quarterbacks – Really, his motion, he keeps his arm angle always the same. He very seldom loses control of the football, uh, those things. And there's a lot of – it looks quirky, and, it, you know, I don't understand that. But still, there mechanically, there are a lot of things that he does very well. That's why he's so accurate with the football.
2: Right. Completely agreed. It, it, it looks different right away, but, I mean, I lost that feeling of – kind of wondering what he was doing back in 2006 when he became the full-time starter and started playing really, really well. Yes, he did. You guys ready for one more? One more ask? Sure, let's do it. Yeah. Here we go. This is an interesting one from uh, from Nate Doggy Dog. As a fellow lefty, Chris, would that affect the Dolphins coaching with Tua? Let's say he's a backup that gets put in the starting lineup midway. Can the offense easily adjust to a lefty after almost every other thing is right-hand bias?
1: Yeah, no, they they can adjust. You know, listen, their receiver is going to be a little bit, you know, awkward at first when the ball comes out of the hand of Tua, and they go, whoa, it's spinning a different way. And then, you know, for the receiver too, as you're running a route, you're used to looking back and kind of spotting the ball behind the line of scrimmage or looking in a general area where a right hander would release the ball. Yeah, it's going to be a little different because the ball's going to come out of nowhere, uh, you know, on the left side of the ball, the uh, left side, of course. Uh, that could catch people by surprise. Hey, offensively, it's not going to be a huge drastic change. You know, yes, you might have to call a few more dominant left-handed formations. you got to be a little conscious of calling the play-action pass game to the left side a hair more, bootlegs rolling to the left a hair more. But it's not like you won't do those things through training camp. You know, there's going to be things where Ryan Fitzpatrick – He's going to run some bootlegs to the left during training camp. So the offense isn't going to be like, oh, whoa, two is in the game. Coach, timeout. We can't call boots to the left. I've never practiced that before. They'll get all of that stuff in there. I mean, they will. And, you know, you guys also see it all the time. You have those play-action passes for even a righty where they just turn their back and do a little flash fake to the left side for a running back coming that way. So a lot of this stuff will be indoctrinated into the offense anyways. You know, it's just going to be on the play call, like Gruden. Gruden used to, like, cuss me out in a, in a funny way when I would be in the game. If we were in a preseason game and, you know, Brad Johnson was in there and then it was my turn, he might call a play and go, oh, 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 shit, i forgot forgotten the lefty's in. And then he'd have to switch it around in his brain. And that was it. That was the end of that. So I think really those are the only troubles that, that the team will have when it comes to Tua. Dad, well, you know, I dad, see yeah, dad used to see Joey Galloway come up with me and, and throw in the offseason because he wanted to get a head start on catching the left-handed ball before we started OTAs.
0: Oh, that's funny. Uh, yeah, yeah, there is a little difference. I've caught for righties and lefties, and I feel it when it does come to me, but nothing that a pro won't get get ready for in a very short time. And let's see. You're on the right hash, oh the formation's going left. You're on the left hash, all oh, the formation's going right. Uh a hundred percent just about in the NFL. Because the hashes are so tight, that's what you do. So that all grew, and oh wait, I gotta turn it around in my brain. Hey coach, you call the play, you're on one hash, you call it to the field or the formation or whatever. That's how you usually do it. And I love this one, all oh, the bootlegs. Well, you know, all I can tell you through great experience and watching NFL now, for right-handers to run bootlegs to the left—if you can't run to your left as a righty and throw a bootleg just as good or as well as you do going to the right, then hell, you're not a good—you're just not a good NFL quarterback. I mean, throw yeah, right, on the yeah. run is part of the world now. And yeah, right. It, hell, I, I just—I throw with college kids, pros, and everything, and we do it, and it's—you know what they all say, Paul? Almost to a man. Whatever hand they are, you know, throw them mm-hmm. the other way. If the righty's going left, you know, that's easy. Yes, and I so go, yeah, know yeah. it is because it forces you to so, do it right. The other way, you can fall into traps, and it almost right. always, right from the start, righties throw better going to the left, and lefties throw better going to the right uh, when they, when they're on the run. So, so all those Agreed. myths, and it, it, you got to make it. if it's oh, oh my God, two is in the game. What we got? man I mean, this is a new day and age everybody's ready for all that stuff and has done it many times before now
2: right it's speaking so. of mythsville back in uh in 94 when i was at the combine i met with the quarterback coach of the jets named walt harris remember walt oh sure okay so i, know I, him I think well. boomer okay i i assume yeah. boomer had been well, there for uh, i years. just want to tell
0: you this why do i know him well son
2: he used to call me every Saturday
1: morning for about two years straight. I mean, he was yeah, he Where did he I want Pittsburgh. you to go to
0: school, son. Pittsburgh. Yep.
1: I, yep. And, man, Let's I'm still something up I, here. I still think about him from time to time. Because, yeah, dad wanted me to go to Pittsburgh with Walt Harris. He goes, you need to go there. He's going to play you. He's going to teach you how to play quarterback. And, you know, I was so keeping looks- Pittsburgh in the loop just because of him for a long time. Wow. Because I was so impressed with him. And he was kind of a college yeah. offensive genius at the time. And I enjoyed my personal relationship with him about as much as with anybody I had in the recruiting process. So
2: that's that's the Sims family experience with Wal Harris. We're big fans of his. Well, this will make sense to both of you guys then. So back in 94, before he was calling you, uh, I met with him at the Combine. And he's like, like what you do, but I'm really, you know, after spending time with Boomer, I'm really only interested in lefties right now. And I'm like, well, why is that? And he goes... Well, you're going to see it. You're going to see it a lot in the next few years. The ball comes into the receiver in a much better way. It cuts through the wind better. The way it spins, it's better for everybody. I was like, I thought I was I'm like, are, are we serious? Is he really, like, he's serious about a lefty ball is better for the oh receiver than a righty ball? But he had this whole three-minute spiel on how he was only in the lefties then. And, Chris, now now we are. Now I know that, that yeah, he was calling you every Saturday. He had a lefty thing.
1: He had a lefty thing. I don't know well, you where know he what? got it, but yeah, that's funny. You know what? Maybe it's a good
0: thing you didn't go there. <laughs> you know, after hearing that spiel, I mean, I mean, oh, the, the wind cuts it cuts through the wind better. Well, you know, it
2: spins better. It gets to the receiver better. It's a more friendly ball. I mean, any anything you could think of, Walt was oh, just love that down with the lefties. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's funny, and there you are sitting there. You should have said, "Well, you know, I can throw up my left hand just as good as my right." Now, how do you like me?
2: Yeah, right. You
0: know, I don't know. Hey. That that's really funny.
1: Hey, big Phil, because I don't want to keep you on here forever. That's I know. You know, we we asked, we answered some questions, some AMAs, but yeah. I know you had a few things that you wanted to talk about. Like let's let's hit on them because I want to give you free reign to just talk oh, about well, yeah, whatever the hell. Something...
0: Yeah. Well, let me just say that, you know, one, you know, of course, we knew Tampa Bay and New Orleans were going to start the season out on a Sunday night or whatever game or Monday, one of those things. And it came across my phone that it is going to be, I don't know if it's the Thursday or Sunday game. or No, it won't be the Thursday. It'll be the Sunday game because um, Kansas City will get the Thursday game. So that's one. I, I would think that's the way it goes. Even though they have changed that up, they did last year, right? Right. They so even played on a Sunday night or yes. well, well, whatever. But I think the Andy Dalton story was interesting, just because now all of a sudden I'm watching TV and oh, Andy Dalton's getting respect and you know this and that, and all oh, everybody does. I'm being very general here, but everybody always oh Andy Dalton, and, you know it, it always those things always annoy me because you know he is a really good, solid NFL quarterback, had five playoff runs in a row, so that's saying something and probably as i have said his best one by far to give him a chance to win and maybe move forward even more than just one game is the year he got hurt late so and then of course the uproar that that oh maybe this is who Dallas is going to go with and all that I think, come on no they're not comparing Andy Dalton to Dak Prescott and i don't understand the hold up on the Dak Prescott thing i really don't what kind of money are we arguing over? A million, two million, what, whatever it is. And uh, I don't know why the Cowboys have waited this long. And you know what it does? It really does, it gets personal with players after a while. And I had to hold out one year, and it started getting personal with me. I go, why am I holding out? I'm not asking. I'm just asking for something average. And, you know, I had to hold out for a couple of weeks. So, And I've even heard people tell me that Dak Prescott is – it's really starting to bother him, the fact that they can't get this deal done. And I don't right. know why they haven't, but um, is Andy Dalton a threat to his job? Uh, no, of course not. So that that was just one thing I was going to talk. What do you. How, how do you two guys feel about that?
1: I'm with it. I mean, I'm with you. Of course I am. And I don't want you to stop. Go ahead. Let's hear your next. What's your next issue? Get it off your well, chest. I just, uh, I you
0: know. Well, everybody, you know, it's this and that, but whatever. The other thing is, I just can't get over how the Baltimore Ravens, I, I didn't look it up, I wanted to, how'd they get so many draft picks? And, of course, I don't know. And Ozzie Newsome, and, and I know it's the, Eric DaCosta now who picks them. I don't know how much Ozzie Newsome has to do with it. But just the guys they got, once again, Patrick Queen at linebacker, J.K. Dobbins. I don't know. Did you watch the Duvernay kid, uh, Christopher from yeah. Texas? Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so he's a, he looks like he's a big ass running back who's just is bigger is. and tall, and he's out there and he's a monster. And so right. that, and I remember last year, this kind of hit my mind. I remember when uh, Scura, Sh- the center, got hurt. I said, boy, that could sure. really hurt them with their run game. Then they had Patrick McCarry come in there. Uh, I think that's how you say his name, McCary or McCary. I'm not sure. Okay, I got my. I'm not gonna look it up. My pronunciation guide, but he did great. And I just and it, not only that, they go out and get Calais Campbell, and everybody forgets they got Derek Wolfe too. Derek right. Wolfe is just not some slappy out there. This is a, you know, a good quality rotation guy up front. Where believe it or not, that's what Baltimore needed to really accomplish, and they got that done. And it just goes on and on about. Even the kid they got from Texas A&M. Uh, but yeah, they, uh,
1: Matabuke. Or, yeah. Matabuke,
0: yeah. I mean, right. I, I watched him. I mean, I didn't go, oh, wow, he's great. But the fact that they got him when they did, that that was a great pickup. And just, I, I guess I'm just wowed how well they do with their personnel. And, of course, getting Dobbins, I think, was really a big deal. Because yeah. last year, if Mark Ingram is healthy – they're going to win that playoff game. They would have won it. That really hurt them, not having that guy that could just pound it up in there with speed, power, and just get the extra yards and just kind of get the, make the defense play a certain way. At least that's the way I felt. That, they right. got beat up at tight end at the end of the year, too, if you remember.
1: Yes, I so, did.
0: Yeah. So that was, that was just one thing. Sorry, got my cell phone. Thought I had turn it turned off, but I didn't. But, you know, the other thing is, too, give me your thoughts real quick. I hear this is the talk now. I, you know me; I watch TV and I get irritated as hell listening to people. This is a make-or-break year. This is it. Baker Mayfield. This is his last chance. It's got to work this year. It's all on him. And oh my God, please! I wish I was sitting next to you when you say that. But what? Give me your thoughts on Baker Mayfield. What? What do you think? Because this got to be the year. All that stuff that everybody says. Because it's really prevalent on TV.
1: Yeah. All right. So two things, first off, because, yeah, I've, we've talked about this. Me and Florio got to talk about this. First thing I just want to address. You said about the, the Ravens. I don't know where they get all these picks from. The Ravens, like the Patriots, have mastered the compensatory picks conversation in the right. NFL. So right. they're masters at getting those extra third and fourth round picks. But to your Browns thing, I mean, I'm with you. I tried to talk Florio off the edge about this a little bit earlier in the week because he was trying to say it was a make or break year, too there's no way it's a make or break year. I mean, he's the first pick of the NFL draft for the Cleveland Browns. So he's not going anywhere. Now I will say, I think there's as much pressure on Baker Mayfield as just about anybody in the NFL. I do believe that, you know, when you have the talent you have around you, um, you know, he's outspoken, he's brash. He's got a cockiness about him, all of which I like. And then, you know, dad, I know you and I've had this conversation before when you start doing commercials, like you're Peyton Manning or Tom Brady already, it's going to put a bark on you. It's going to put a bullseye on you a little bit. So I do think it's a huge
2: year as far as pressure-wise, but I don't think it's make or break. I think people are overstating that. Do you agree with that, Paul? Yeah. I do. I don't think it's make or break. I will say, kind of, it kind of goes on the end of what Chris was talking about, it's a very important year for him in the sense that he caught a lot of attention to himself, whether it was the commercials or the, the brash way he plays and really conducts himself after games. I think there's a lot of attention on him, but he's way too talented and too close to being way too good for this to be a make or break year. So attention right. on him. Yes. Does he need to grow up a little bit in every possible way when it comes to being a quarterback of the NFL team? Yes. But he's way too good to be in a make or break year.
0: Yeah, well, of course I agree with you guys. I'll say this about him. Yeah, I, I I don't know. Maybe he was lifting weights or whatever. I did think he looked a little heavy last year, more than he should, and this and that. And the one thing that I am very positive about because I watched, you know, I'm not going to sit here and study them every single week, but I watched him a lot, and he just overthrew, you know. Yes, he did. And he just, it just, he reared back so hard to throw it so hard and. And it just it got away. Not that it gets so. Just it traveled differently than they expected. It overthrew guys, missed guys. When there really was no reason to just show off like you can throw it a hundred miles an hour, you know. Right. And just just kind of play the game at a more controlled pace and don't be frantic. He you know he gets he got so frantic at times. I thought he did com- get better at it last year. Instead of always breaking to his right on the first sight he thought he had pressure. He kind of hung in the pocket last year more and, and made some plays because he showed some patience in doing that. So just, hey, it is it is true. Every play, you know, every throw doesn't have to be the greatest throw of your life. You don't have to go for the home runs all the time, all that stuff. He just needs to play the position, just play the position better, and just be patient because that's what it's about, the league. Now the league is about, you know, Even for Patrick Mahomes, it's, you know, short, 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 here we go, we're waiting, oh, now we got our chance, let's take the shot. And that's what you see with almost every football team, and he needs to learn to play that way himself. So, you know, besides that, you know, I looked at the Denver, I can't wait to see the Denver Broncos be my last thing. Just the fact that, you know, all the guys from, you know, just how the quarterback played last year, they picked up A.J. Bouye, they got him, Bradley Chubb comes back, they got Jarrell Casey, my gosh, and to get Jerry Judy and, and K.J. Hamler in a draft and Cortland Sutton's there, all I, I just and Noah Fant. So I just want to see how this all comes together. And I, I do like Pat Shermer as an offensive coordinator a lot. I really do. And I, I've said this. I hope I didn't say it last week or whenever we talked, but I loved what he did in Minnesota, but they never got the giant team in the position to kind of be that team.
2: Where the right. quarterback
0: moved and we ran the ball enough and it just, it was, it was deceptive. Case Keenum was frigging awesome up in Minnesota that year they went to the championship game. And, mm-hmm. you know, with um, Drew Locke out there, almost, I was getting ready to call him Andrew Luck. Drew Locke, mm-hmm. you know, you know, yes, we saw a really good sample from him last year. And it's funny, I was just seeing highlights of him this morning going, man, he did some things there that are, look simple, but those, those were difficult. And it'll be interesting if his talent matches up to what Christopher. You were a big Drew Drew Lock fan. Uh, I probably wasn't as big as you. As I thought, oh man, it's just out of control looking. But realizing too, the team was awful. The offense was horrendous. The concepts were terrible. But besides that, <laughs> but you know, his his talent is really easy to see. It is right when I saw him on a pro football field last year when he finally started playing. You know, sitting there at CBS, looked down and said, "Man, the guy's got—he's definitely got big-time starter talent." There's no question about right. it. So I'm really anxious to see how that goes this year for the Denver Broncos.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I think it. they're a team. Yeah, it's good stuff, though, man. Good stuff, and no, I think they're a team good. that Paul and yeah. I are certainly got uh, on our radar too. The Broncos Excited are one of those teams them. to watch yeah. out for. Definitely. Yeah, it's hey, really Big interesting, Phil. isn't it? No, but it let me is. say this. It is really interesting? Yeah. As you sit and
0: you look at teams, I, and and I, I'm this way, and I'm the worst. I just see the good a lot of times when I look yes. at a team. And, yeah, mm-hmm. I can pick some teams out where I just say, I don't know where it's going, and I don't think it's going where you want it to go. But not many. I just kind of go, oh, this will work. you know. And, of course, we know most of it won't work. <laughs> so uh, it's just, it's just kind of fun this time of year to guess, think about, and see if you can kind of pick out the teams that are going to – you know, surprises and and get to the playoffs on the edge, whatever it is, that's a, that's always fun to do.
2: You're the well, man, I'm Big done. Phil. You're All right, done. guys.
0: Hey, Paul, thanks for thanks for sharing the keep, him, keep him in line. Keep him in line. It's hard to do, but uh, do it's... your best, son. Hope right. right. to be
2: driving down there right. soon, Phil. All
0: right, guys. Yeah. Look forward to it. Thanks for having me on today, Christopher Paul. Thank you. See you, Dad. See you, All man. see you now.
2: See you. See you, Phil. Yeah. So so a bunch of things. And it's been a while since I've hung out with you and your dad. Uh, Number one, I like listening to your dad because I think what comes through, what he just said, he sees the good. He sees the potential in all these prospects and teams. He just loves it. And he has a lot of knowledge into some of the negative things that can happen. But he's a positive guy about football, and it's fun to be around. And all of his quarterback stuff, like I can pick out little bit of things where as much as I watch him, And think I know, like, he sums it up well. We talked about Phillip Rivers. He's a fearless thrower. I'm like, I was going to call him courageous, but fearless is even better. Talked about Baker Mayfield overthrowing. And, like, that's something we can all relate to when we watch him. Like, yeah, he was overthrowing. He was gripping the club a little too hard and trying to hit it 350 yards. And just, like, summing it up with Drew Locke, his talent is easy to see. Yeah, there's a lot of ways you can go with that. We all wonder where it's going to go. But his talent is easy to see when he comes on the field. So um, I should have said this when your dad was on, maybe I can call him later, Uh, but I can can always pick things out. Yeah, no, I can can always pick things out from him.
1: Listen, uh, you know, he lives it, you know, that's, that's what we do in our house. It's, it is, it's the family business and you know, it's kind of family and football. That's really all we really care about. And it's where a lot of our conversations go, you know, I'll be on the phone with my dad, three four times a week and you know every time I get off the phone my wife is like oh yeah well what did he have to say and I'm always like we were talking about football we were talking about quarterbacks <laughs> we we're talking about wide receivers it's never like some life issue or anything like that it's just we we're always dissecting players teams different angles and you know dad's just seen so much experienced so much still is experiencing a lot I mean just like he told you and as you know I mean he's He's working with college kids, high school kids, some NFL players. So yeah. he's got it all going on and still always tinkering with the mechanics of the position and what makes a guy good and not good and all those things. And he's he certainly trained my eye through my
2: years of, as far as things to look at. You know who loved your dad? You probably know this, but uh, my first three years at NFL Network, I worked out of NFL Films. And the late great Steve Sable loved Phil Sims. He had great Phil stories. Great respect for him. I think he had so many wires where Bill and Phil were arguing. I think he was a entertained and b kind of <laughs> had to have a lot of respect for Phil for for the way he kind of battled through that and dealt with it. But that that's a guy who loved football who thought the world of your dad too. Uh,
1: that's cool. I, I got some good memories of uh, you know Steve Sable. So, Sable certainly. He came to the house a few times through the years where. You know, I was the best and I was obsessed with NFL films as a kid. So I was like, man, Steve Sables in the house. What a great voice. And, you know, I'd sit there and talk to him and ask him a million questions. But uh, yeah, great, great family. And Steve was awesome. Uh, But but yeah, I, I could see him respecting a guy like that. And certainly, yeah, when you're getting to hear the behind the scenes clips of Parcells talking shit to my dad and whatever else. That probably would make yeah. you respect my dad a little <laughs> bit more to know that he could he could take a lot and uh, you know just take it, not talk back and, and having to deal with a lot in New York and, and play for the Giants,
2: yeah, yeah, no that's uh you can sit here and talk to you about your dad forever. You probably are ready to move on to some other parts of football than besides big eleven, right yeah, so,
1: I'm, I, you I would know, imagine. there is nothing, but you know I love talking big eleven. I mean yeah there is uh, you could talk shit about me and my career all you want talk shit about me. you start talking shit about my dad and his career yeah. i'm going to set you straight i am <laughs> and i have great pride in my father's career you know of course i'm one that thinks he is you know a, a lot better than he gets credit for sometimes and i understand i'm biased but uh it's it still I, I defend my dad because of course he's my dad but he's my best friend and i saw how much he put into it for years and years to to become who he is now
2: how old were you when you were going to games before you realized Wow. My dad is the quarterback of the New York Giants. This is amazing. Were you four? Oh, were you eight? Like how old? I was four.
1: Uh, he'll tell you that's something you need to ask him. But I, I was very aware at a very young age and, and uh, was very, I was not shy in boarding out in public that my dad was the starting quarterback for New York Giants. Like they had to teach me to <laughs> shut the hell up when we were out in public. So, uh, but I was, I was very aware you know, and then as you get older and become more aware, it just becomes more intense and, oh, my gosh, they're playing, you know, like he talked about the Bears with Richard Dent, you know, okay. When I was four, I would have gone, oh, they're playing the Bears. Who cares? When I was seven, I was going, oh, my gosh, they're playing the Bears. They're They're going to hurt my dad, like, you know, because you're just, oh, my gosh, now I'm nine, they're playing the Eagles and Reggie White and Jerome Brown. I mean, I used to go to games being nervous on the way there, not because, yeah, I'm nervous that I want the Giants to win, but I'm really thinking – Hey, when you're nine years old and you're sitting, you're watching your dad sit in the middle of a bunch of 300-pound men or trying to rip his yeah. head off, you know, that's not always easy for a young kid
2: sitting in the stands. Right. But also a pretty cool thing. And it sounds like you get you got the most out of it, too. So Definitely. We, we have a fun task today. We are going to redraft the top 10 of the 2017 draft. And one of the reasons we're doing this, I mean, it's fun for any class. But this class, especially at the top, was in the news this week because a number of these guys – haven't really worked out the way teams wanted to in the top 10. And we're seeing it in the cold, hard facts because a lot of them, the contracts or their options are not being exercised uh, for the fifth year. And that's, um, it's a pretty good indication that teams aren't getting what they thought or what they hoped they were going to get when they took them that high. No. Well, yeah. I mean,
1: you know, we, we've had this conversation. When you talk about first round picks, top 10 picks at times, people are overdrafted because of, you know, you take a shot on potential, or there's a trait that the player has that's special, and you go, Ooh, that's special. Not a lot of people have that. I know some other areas are lacking, but we think we can bring that along or, you know, accentuate the great strength that we do see. So, yeah, you look at that top 10 of that 27 NFL draft, there's some very underwhelming names in there. When you talk about mm. Solomon Thomas, Corey Davis, John Ross, you know, Mitchell Trubisky. Those would be four right off the bat where you just go, man, it hasn't been easy. It hasn't been top 10 worthy to this point. And certainly completely understand with those four names
2: why the teams did not pick up that fifth-year option. Yeah, there's five of the teams. Five of the 10, the options were not exercised. So we are going to redraft this top 10. Uh, Leonard Fournette,
1: though, just so you know, that one is, to me, like on the fence as far as – not to say he was worth the number four pick, but – But he's been okay. I would think I would think Jacksonville at least thought about that one. Now, I don't think Leonard Fournette and some of his off the field things he's done has helped his cause there either. But I would say, like, he's not in the class of the four guys I just mentioned. Like you said, he's done okay. He's done better than okay.
2: It just hasn't been fourth pick of the draft. okay. Right. Uh, This exercise for me, Chris, I don't know how it was for you, but was all at once really fun. It was really hard i stayed up way later than i should have last night trying to figure out who to give to each team in this top 10 so that this was a fun one to go through and i'm excited to hear your picks as well at yeah. number one I'm giving myself i i didn't do time.
1: like off a of team needs just so you know that or anything like that i just went with best player. best player i went best players available that's the kind of the way i did it so i don't know okay. we might have different li- lists if that's the way we did it
2: i don't know but i just went best player available yeah that works. I think we can each kind of give an explanation here as we, as we uh, rattle off these picks, no surprise at number one. And to be honest, I don't think there's going to be any surprise at number two either, but Cleveland Browns, I am giving them Patrick Mahomes. uh, And that's uh, without a second thought. Yeah, no, I don't even
1: think that's a no brainer. You're right. I mean, come on. Any one of these teams would have traded in their picks uh, to get Patrick Mahomes, you know, before where he was picked by the Kansas city chiefs at number 10. So that was a slam dunk. Number one, Patrick Mahomes. He's the best player in football, and I don't think you and I think that's going to end anytime soon here. So, uh, yeah, that that was an easy one.
2: Yeah, they the Browns did take Miles Garrett, who's had a nice career, but I think they would much rather have Patrick Mahomes. Just as easy for me, number two, Chicago Bears. Crazy that they took Trubisky when they could have had. And it's easy in hindsight, but, man, it's painful looking back thinking they could have had Mahomes or Watson. But at number two, I'm giving them Deshaun Watson.
1: Yeah, I am too. That's not even a thought. You're right. I mean, it's Deshaun Watson is, you know, yeah, no, he's not Patrick Mahomes, but he's, you know, he's certainly one of the best players in the NFL. For me, he would be the third best quarterback in the NFL. I would put Russell Wilson two and Deshaun Watson three. So he's special. He can take over games. We've seen that. So uh, yeah, it's unfortunate, you know. the, Like you said, the Mitchell Trubisky, Deshaun Watson conversation, all of that stuff. You know, I hate that Mitchell Trubisky gets blamed for it all the time. He didn't pick himself to go to the Bears. The Bears picked him. <laughs> so don't get mad at Mitchell Trubisky for them messing up the pick. But either way, yeah, I think w- Watson is, you know, fortified himself as uh, one of the great quarterbacks of the game, and and just starting to hit the peak of his career. I mean, that's right? what's crazy about Mahomes and Watson. They're not
2: even in peak NFL career position yet. They're still getting better, which is scary. Right. Okay, so I knew we were going to have the the same at one and two. I mean, who wouldn't have gone Mahomes and then Watson? Going to be a lot of variation here now as we hit San Francisco at three. Back in 17, they took Solomon Thomas defensive tackle. I think they'd like to have a redo. I thought long and hard about this one, and I feel badly because I'm giving them the pick they found in the 100, so they should get credit. For that, but if I didn't give them George Kittle, and I see how much he means to that offense, somebody else here in the top five or six would have had him. I just didn't feel right about that. So I know they got him in the fifth round, but I am going with San Francisco number three, George Kittle tight end.
1: Oh, that's very nice of you that they gave them their player. It's so nice of you. Look at you all giving and stuff. <laughs> uh, but but I mean, listen, George Kittle's coming up for me too. He's not coming up at number three. All right. But he is certainly on my list here as one of the 10 best players from that draft. And, uh, you know, so like I like I told you to start, I kind of just stayed by almost best player available type thing. And to me, the next guy up, I'm going to go with Miles Garrett. You know, I I am. I'm going to give the the 49ers of that three pick to Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett is you know, a phenomenal player. He really is. No matter what happened last year with the Mason Rudolph situation and all that, you know, he still had double digit sacks last year. He was one of the best defensive players in football. and He didn't play the last seven games of the year. So, you know, (laughs) excuse me, as you know, such an important position and, you know, not only an important position for a football team and your franchise, but but he is really a special specimen at that as well. I mean, he's he's a guy that when you play the Cleveland Browns, you got to be a little concerned about, okay, how is my left tackle going to match up with Miles Garrett? And what do I need to do game plan wise to help him out? There's just not a lot of guys like that going around in the NFL. I think Miles
2: Garrett is pretty damn special. Also fits with the theme that you and I talked about a lot with San Francisco. A lot of good players everywhere, but the calling card, is that defensive line, so that would have fit in there very well. It would have fit, right? right. For sure. Jacksonville at number four. You mentioned Leonard Fournette. He's been a decent player, all in all, maybe not worth the number four pick. If they wanted a running back, though, I'm going to go with Christian McCaffrey at number four. He's been even better than any one of us thought he could be, catching the ball, also running the ball. And I think about a defensive coordinator, and it's a unique preparation to have to get ready for so much out of the running back position so yes the production is really good but just the difficulty in prep it's a different kind of prep than they get the rest of the weeks I think it's a it's a home run there to go McCaffrey at four
1: well I mean he's been the cream of the crop at the position I mean he's arguably the best running back in the NFL right now he's certainly towards the top of that list I don't care who you are as long as you're watching football you got to look at him and go man and he's at the top of the list as far as dual threat running backs, too, as far as pass game, run game, and everything there. So, you know, I'm not going to argue with you. You're right. I like how you're kind of staying within the position that they drafted. That's cool that you're doing that. Now, I'll say, I think life would be a little different, you know, for him if he had to play, uh, you know, with Blake Bortles and that Jacksonville offense who couldn't block or scare anybody in a pass game. But regardless, the talent is real. And he has certainly justified being a top 10 pick and now being the highest paid running back in football. Again, another guy I love. He'll be on my list. He's coming up shortly.
2: I thought you I'm were setting go- yourself up to say, I agree. I'm also oh, making the uh, nope. Jaguar. But that's, that's I not don't the agree.
1: Case. I don't agree yet, OK? So I went with Jacksonville taking their version of Cam Chancellor and then taking Jamal Adams. That's where I well went done. here. And Jamal Adams is... You know, first off, Wood fits perfectly within that scheme, and Jamal Adams. I think when you talk about the best safeties in the NFL, you know I'm missing somebody else in that conversation that I'm blanking out on right now. But Jamal Adams is is right at the top of the list. I, there's somebody else I'm missing that I, I usually throw out there, and I can't think of Derwin who the hell James. I'm of. I mean, he, he was hurt. Oh, Are you thinking Derwin, Derwin James? James? Definitely. That's if you give me two, the you know them healthy at safety, and I had the pick of the litter, I'm going to go Jamal Adams 1, Derwin James 2 is the best safeties, strong safeties in football. But, man, Adams' ability, he's like a linebacker who can run like a corner. You know, that's just special, and that 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 skill set. You know, he's awesome in the run game. He's awesome sideline to sideline, running people down if it's, you know, outside sweeps or or bubble screens or whatever it may be, and he can cover. And he's a great blitzer. You know, and he brings attitude to your defense. So yeah, that's why I went with Jamal Adams. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to say, yeah, he's the fourth best player in this in this draft. So
2: uh, we'll see. All right, who you got number five? Works for me. And I'm trying to think of a different way to word this because you just talked about him for a whole minute. But at five, Tennessee, they did take Corey Davis, yikes, wide receiver. I'm going with Jamal Adams. And just to add on to what you just said, When I penciled him in, I went and Googled the uh, depth chart for Tennessee to see who they had at safety, and I I stopped myself. I'm like, you know what? It doesn't matter. He's better than everybody else they have at that position. (laughs) And even if they have two studs, safety is like corner now, and (laughs) you can't have enough. I mean, to have three on the field at one time is just fine, and you can play a linebacker hybrid like you just said. So um, you put it very well. Uh, My best point is – I call off my search on who they already have because I know he's better than whoever else is there right now, no doubt about it I don't know. you don't have to worry about that, and I think at the
1: time, you know I don't know I don't think they had two or three guys to worry about kevin Bayard was, was he there yet? I think he was there, right? Am I wrong or so but either way, a nice if they duo all, now, oh my gosh, would that be some duo now? It really would be that would be in the conversation for the best duo in the game i'm uh, I'm a big fan of both of their games, but Hey, that's nice to see. We got, all right, we got, so three of the first four picks, we have the same guy, right? Correct. Our only different, yep. our only different one is the, is the number three pick so far. So, all right. Now, with the number five pick, the Tennessee Titans, first off, like you said, they they drafted Corey Davis there, where at the time, I, I just saw so just a little backstory. I was, at, I was adamant, like, please, somebody don't take Corey Davis in the top five or the top 10. <laughs> All right. He was being a little overrated and I'm not trying to say to this point, but it was like the Jerry Judy conversation. All, oh his route running his Mm -hmm. route running his route running. It's, it's all he was drafted on. And again, that's, that's a nice trait, but you don't draft somebody in the top five because they can run to the white line and make a right turn for a 90, a 90 degree angle. That's not why you draft somebody added to the fact, you know, I would always be skeptical of drafting any receiver who takes stays in school for four years, you know, yeah, you know, wide receivers are the freakiest of the freaks. I mean, we know that they are the greatest athletes on the planet, in my opinion. So, you know, the great ones leave school after three years, they, they're like, what my fourth year of college. I'm so above this league. It's not even funny anymore. Let me go on to the next thing. Corey Davis was not that. And I always never, I never understood that pick. So either way, this is where I'm going. George Kittle, I'm going with George Kittle of the Tennessee Titans right here. You know, Kittle, He's the best tight end in the game, you know? And again, it's almost like what you just said. I don't care who was on the roster at that point or whatever, the way Kittle can block the way he can make plays happen after the catch, let alone what he can do before the catch and his route running and just the intensity and livelihood. He brings to a football team. All those things
2: are special. Uh, So yeah, Kittle would be uh, my number five pick to the Tennessee Titans. All right. Getting to the second half of the top 10, the Jets, they did a nice job in the actual draft in 2017, taking Jamal Adams. We've already drafted him twice here. So he's even better than number six in our eyes. So Jets, I thought about their offense and I went back to our notes. We did so many pre-drafts podcasts, Chris. And the, the thing I had written down about the Jets more often than any other nugget was fewest points in the AFC last year. And they have their quarterback. We'd like to see Sam Darnold healthy. I almost went with one of the very good running backs in this class, and both of them are going to show up for me later uh, in the bottom half of this top 10. But offensive line is also a big need for them. Hopefully their first-round pick from Louisville, Beckton works out for them. But had they gone Ryan Ramchek, who went with the last pick in this draft in 2017 to the Saints, they, they could have gone elsewhere. So I'm going with the offensive tackle who's been a complete stud for Drew Brees and Sean Payton really really good pick i was wondering
1: if you would have rams check in your top 10. i i did you know because we all fall under the category of like for these kind of fun exercises sex appeal but yeah he deserves to be in the top 10. he's you know i i, I arguably i think it's him or lane johnson as far as the best right tackles in the game right now so i'm with you i mean here's another guy uh, you know spoiler alert going to be in my top 10 too he's just not quite here yet Um, and I like. I really like, I wish I would have done more of what you did. I didn't do it all the way that way. As far as going back and looking at their needs and all that, honestly, I'm getting lucky here because so far the guys I put there have fit the needs of the team too. So I've been able to justify it, but I'm going to go with TJ Watt right here of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah. You know, Hey, TJ Watt. I mean, you look at what he's done the first 3 years, he's got more sacks than Miles Garrett. Now, he didn't get suspended for the last 7 games or 6 games of the year last year, and that certainly hurt that cause, but TJ Watt is quietly one of the best pass rushers in the game. You know, I mean, it's double-digit sacks the last 2 years. He can he's awesome in the run game. He can drop back in the pass as being a 3-4 outside linebacker, and of course the biggest thing is is he can rush the passer. So, He's a really well-rounded football player who, yeah, I think if teams could do this draft over again, he would be looked at and certainly viewed as one of the 10 best guys, you know, in the draft selection process.
2: Chris, I'm going to take you all the way back to about five minutes ago. Remember the transition from four to five when you went Jamal Adams, four to Jacksonville, I went Jamal Adams, five to Tennessee. Okay. Seven LA chargers. I've got TJ Watt. For there you go a lot, of the same, <laughs> a lot of the same reasons you just mentioned. I will add that I, I like my pick or my placement of him to the Chargers a little bit better because I think about the linebacker trio there with the Chargers. Kenneth Murray, first-round pick they just took. We both like Drew Tranquil a whole lot. You put him in there with those two and Derwin James behind him, sometimes next to him, maybe even in front of him. You can use his safety a number of different ways. So, uh, I applaud your pick of TJ Watt at six. I like mine a little bit a little bit better, TJ Watt at seven.
1: No, of course you do. Of course you do. Very nice of you to say. Uh only thing all right, so why why are you gonna rub that in my face? I mean yes. you know, they do they get do got Joey Boza and Melvin Ingram. It's not like they're hurt at the position. Uh that you Look know, at the 49ers. Deal. I know. <laughs> you're right. 49ers. You can't have enough of them. I, I get you. Yeah. I'm just trying to give you a hard time and see if I can fluster you okay. a little bit. Okay. That was a good answer. <laughs> good answer.
2: Huh, what you got, in my Chargers?
1: Uh, okay. <laughs> you still got me? Am I still there? Let me make sure.
2: You sound like you, sound like you went into a hole. I, can, I can, uh, You look the same. So
1: I had to switch my ear pods. I got to switch go. them because they're dying out here. All right. Um, my, my number seven, this is where I'm going to go, Christian McCaffrey. This is where I'm going CMC. And like I said, I didn't do on draft need, I didn't do all the due diligence you did. I just kind of went top ten guys from that draft. But Christian McCaffrey, for all the things you mentioned, you know, just he's too special of a football player in both the run game, the pass game. You see what Carolina, how they value him. And of course, they value him a lot because they got an offensive coordinator in there and Joe Brady, who's gonna run that Saints offense. And he's going to be able to do all that Alvin Kamara type stuff and do it better than Kamara does. I mean, we already know that, you know, so, uh, you know, I'm with you in the love affair for Christian McCaffrey. I really am. I know a lot of people were scared back in the day when he got drafted in the top 10 and he's just an awesome football player. So, uh, that's where I go Christian McCaffrey. And then who do we got after this? Number eight is, uh, the Carolina Panthers who
2: picked Christian McCaffrey. Yes, they did. And he's gone in both of our drafts. So I stayed at running back. And I put Dalvin Cook, when he's healthy, right on the same line as Christian McCaffrey. I mean, he started 14 games last year. His numbers weren't quite Christian McCaffrey-like, but they were in the same neighborhood. And I just think about that game in New Orleans, that playoff game they won. I think he had more than 30 touches when you go pass and run game. Uh, Just a complete stud when when he's healthy. So Carolina doesn't get McCaffrey like they have in real life, but Dalvin Cook isn't so bad.
1: Yeah, no, not so bad. I mean, he's arguably one of the best running backs in the game. And then, you know, to to even further that more, you know, probably more of a home run hitter between the tackles than Christian McCaffrey is, you know, in that way, you know, that's where he's scary. I think he's a little bit more of a talented runner that way. I don't think he's necessarily as good in the pass game, but man, if Dalvin Cook sees a, a crack in the seam, forget it. He's gone. So I'm not mad at you with that pick at all. It makes a lot of sense. This is where I went Ryan Ramscheck. I went with Ramscheck to the Carolina Panthers here. I mean, oddly enough, if they had him, maybe Cam Newton's still healthy and they're not having to, you know, sign Teddy Bridgewater or do all that. But, you know, you, you mentioned Ramscheck. Ramscheck's one of the best right tackles in the game, you know, for the Saints. And that's really one of the best offensive lines in the game. And, you know, again, right tackle, left tackle, it's just, it doesn't matter as much as it used to. Ramscheck is one of the best offensive linemen in the game. Khalil Mack and Von Miller line up on both sides. So you better be able to block them, whether you're a left tackle or a right tackle. That day is over. And uh, right. between that and his ability to just plow people out of the way in the run game, he's a very special player.
2: Cincinnati I'm at nine in the real here. drafts. Yeah, I don't yes. know. Who are you
1: going to go with your last two picks? I'm very interested.
2: Yeah, uh, the, uh, the, the real Bengals went John Ross. They would uh, they would like a, a pass to do that one yeah. again. And I, I went back through my list of one through eight, Chris, and I saw how heavy it was on offense. And I looked at there's some incredible corners and in defensive backs in this draft. So I figured, well, I better I, I better take one of these defensive backs and give him to somebody here at nine or ten. So at nine for the Bengals, I went Tre'Davious wide corner. Ooh, good one. Good one.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, I get that. And, and I went DB as well, but I went with the DB that I thought is better. And, and this is a good debate because that, you're right between Marshawn Latimer, Marlon Humphrey yep. and Tredavious yeah. white. Those are three really good first round corners. I actually went with Marlon Humphrey, you know, Marlon. Okay. I, I like Tredavious white. I like Marshawn Latimer. It, it's not even a matter of that. It's not, they're, they're all awesome. Uh, I'm just, I'm a big fan of Marlon Humphrey. You know, Marlon Humphrey is a corner that they put a lot of pressure on down in Baltimore. I mean, it's, it's man-to-man almost every play of the game. It's, hey, there's Odell Beckham Jr. You go cover him, you know. And you know I have a little bit of a thing with that. You saw that in the draft process. I like corners who can play man-to-man and just say, I got you. Let's do this. And Humphrey is asked to do that game by game week, you know, week by week and and play by play. And and for my money right now, you know, I think Marlon Humphrey is one of the three, four best corners in the NFL. And I just gave him a slight advantage over, you know, Tredavious White and Marshawn Latimer, who I think are both hell of a player too.
2: It brings to mind, I wanted to say something about Baltimore and how well they've drafted while you and your dad were talking, but, the moment was gone and the next topic was up. And I You can't to stop it.
1: Big Phil once he gets going.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, I don't necessarily want to. I, I, I enjoy listening to him as, as much as everybody else sitting at home. But you think about the continuity there. And I, I know that Ozzy's not there anymore, but Eric DaCosta learned under him for so long. Joe Ortiz, not a name we hear a lot about, but I think he's director of college scouting. He's number two to Eric. He's been there forever as well. And Harbs has been there for over a decade as well. So there's something to be said for guys who not only know it and do it well, but they've been together for a long time. Uh, same thing in Pittsburgh with Kevin Colbert and Mike Tomlin. And I think they have that going so well for themselves in Baltimore. Uh, one of the many reasons that they draft guys like Humphrey. So yeah,
1: well agreed. agree. They kill it in the
2: draft every year. They, you know, always. they have a
1: vision for what they want their team to be year after year after right. year. Right. And they stick with that vision and they got a great eye for picking the players that fit that vision as well. And, you know, listen, the the guys you mentioned are all awesome. And, you know, I think Ozzy Smith is still there as kind of like the godfather to throw a, you know, hey, what do you think of this guy? You know, hey, kiss my ring. I'll tell you what I think of him. You know, (laughs) I, I still think he's a little bit involved down there to where he hasn't been totally phased out. But you're right. That's a special group down there. They kill it every year. And Eric DaCosta is one of the best in the game.
2: You just look elsewhere in their division. Look at how much turnover for GM and head coach and really quarterback as well when you look at the bottom of that division in Cleveland. And there's a lot yeah. of reasons that go into them being down there, but the lack of continuity at the important spots I think has a lot to do with it. Okay, Kansas City at 10. And I'm a bit of a hypocrite here, Chris, because we just spent about six weeks talking about how important cornerbacks are. And if you've got a great one, take them. And I'm looking at Lattimore. I'm looking at Humphrey for the Chiefs. And I'm like, well, I can't give them both to Kansas City. Both of those guys deserve to be in the top 10. I'm going to ignore both of them, my apologies, because I want to see Alvin Kamara with Andy Reid. So I went running back there for the Chiefs, just like they did this year with their final pick of the first. Interesting, very
1: interesting. So I went running back too, but I haven't called Dalvin Cook's name yet. So that's where I go with Dalvin Cook. Uh, but, you know, a little bit, Hey, Dalvin Cook, I, I think is going to look, would look a little bit like the guy they just drafted, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, where it's just explosiveness all over the field. But it's it's funny that you and I were kind of thinking the same thing. But again, I I got no problem with that. I understand you what you're thinking. I mean, Alvin Kamara, that's a similar offense between Sean Payton and Andy Reid. I think he would fit in real nicely there. And, you know, Dalvin Cook, like I said, I did it a little differently than you, but I just think he's proven himself to be one of the 10 best players in that 2017 draft. I know his career Mm -hmm. got off to a little bit of a slow start and he had the injury and all that stuff. But to the points you made about what we saw from him last year, you know, you could argue you could argue he was the best running back in the game or certainly one of the most dangerous. I mean him, Derrick Henry, Christian McCaffrey. I think that was probably be the top three guys you talk about in the NFL in the 2019 season. And, you know, Kamara yeah, is really special in the pass game. I'd like to see more out of Kamara in the run game. Like I'd like to see the yeah. Saints use him more uh, from that standpoint, you know, with Dalvin cook and my pick there, you know, you, you've mentioned all the, the things to talk about. He can run with power. He can run right around the edge. You talk about that Saints game, you know he had some big plays in that football game he had big plays all year the whole offense is based around dalvin cook and what he can do in the run game everything off everything on the offense is it feeds off of that so that to me always shows a special player too when the team the program the system's being built around one guy's skill set uh, that usually means that player is really damn talented and kamara and cook are both really talented that
2: way one thing i always think of now chris when i think of kamara a couple of years ago for, for Football Night in America, I was at a Saints game. And, I, you know, when you're at these games, you get to spend some time down in the field. And running backs, not as much as quarterbacks, but running backs, you just get a different sense when you're down there watching him. And yeah. he just glides. He glides from one spot to the next with a nice explosive cut. And just like Brian Westbrook used to give me the sense, thinks like a quarterback. Like, he's just calm with the way he's processing information and understanding what he, each situation needs And my level of respect and admiration just went way up when I saw him on the field because he reminded me of Westbrook. And I remembered how much I love watching Westbrook with that offense with Andy Reid. And it seemed like that would be a fun one to watch together.
1: Yeah, yeah, I get it. And, you know, you talk about that running style. You're right. It's like he doesn't really pick up his legs at times. His feet are always close to the ground. And I think there's something to be said about that. I think that's why he has amazing contact balance and power for somebody that's not that big. Because, you know, there's never a foot – that's too far from the ground to where it could get back on the ground and handle the shot or the, the blow he took to the hip or whatever. And he keeps his balance and keeps going. So I think this is going to be a big year for Kamara. I do. I think with him, you know, I know last year at the super bowl, he told us that he was really beat up throughout most of the year and didn't get healthy to the very end. And I think he's a little motivated that it was an underwhelming, didn't meet his expectations. And I think, you know, I think it'll be a big year. I think Sean Payton's going to want to use him more. It's Drew Brees' last season. And I think Alvin Kamara might be clamoring for the ball a little bit more, too. You okay? You dropped something? You good?
2: I dropped I drop my draft list, you know? <laughs> We're I, done. You don't need it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. This is it. This is that, it. Was it. Hey, that was it. That was a fun exercise. That was worth staying up for last night. Maybe – Maybe, in these next weeks, unless there's some big time news that comes up, which can happen in the off season, maybe we can hit the fifteen and sixteen draft as well
1: I agree i, I you know those are things that you know again, for the fans out there, send us ideas we'll we'll do whatever you know it is it's going to be a little bit of a slow time in the NFL, especially with that oTAs going on we're going to do our best to be creative and continue to take fan questions and do all that but Also have some fun exercises like this, whether we redraft or rank certain positions or players or whatever it may be, you know, we're going to stay in that football niche and just try to have as much fun as we can with it right now. And uh, Hey, we'll have plenty to talk about next week too. schedule release tonight. I'm excited for that. I don't know if it necessarily means anything at this point, because I don't think we know what the hell is going to happen here for this season, but I'm encouraged by you know, the NFL memo that I read last night and the precautions and the the this, the guidelines that are being implemented by the NFL at each team facility going forward, I thought it was really well done, really well thought out. Not only do I think it's going to be a good guideline for the NFL, it makes me encouraged. I, I honestly think it's going to be a guideline for a lot of businesses as they look at this and go, hmm, the NFL put out something that makes a lot of sense. Hey, how about we try to start opening up our business and follow some of those guidelines that they have set forth. So uh, it's looking good. All we can do is cross our fingers and hope. But, uh, man, I want football in 2020. I really do. And I think the NFL, and just from my coach friends and some front office friends that I know, know, I I think they were very skeptical of whether we would play football this year. I think they're getting more and more into, ooh, I think it's going to happen. And I think the biggest reason they think it's going to happen is just from the steadfast no blink um signals they're getting from ownership you know and again hey these are the 32 most powerful people in our country they know people and know things that the rest of us general public don't know and uh they also have the ability to pull strings and make things happen that we can't make happen and and because of that i think a lot of coaches and and people involved with nfl teams are starting to think yeah it might not be a full season but it's looking like we're going to have football and the
2: owners are thinking a lot of contingency plans to make sure it does happen. Yeah. They haven't wavered a whole lot, even as this thing has ebbed and flowed and evolved that they've, uh, anytime that we've gotten a message from them, it's that there's going to be football. And just as a fan, this is the first time in a while, the first week in a while where it's been really encouraging that, yeah, it's hard to predict exactly what it's going to look like, but there's been more good feelings about where we're moving with all of this and bad, and I also want to point out or bring up to you, Chris, to remind uh, a reminder. It's Mother's Day on Sunday, okay? Thanks so, for reminding me. I got to get to work. I got to get to work for your mom, mom, and for your wife. Yeah, that's coming. No up, doubt. So do not. Forget. No doubt. I'm
1: under the gun. I'm. It's it's a big one for me. Okay. I'm not worried about my mom. I'm worried about my wife. She takes this very <laughs> personal. I got to get her some good stuff. So. Uh, damn, I'm going to have to get online, too. I can't even drive to any of the stores I want to drive to right now because they're not going to be open. So, man, me on the Internet and doing that crap, that's going to be torture. So i got to figure that out in a hurry. Thank you for reminding me.
2: Amazon could use, could use the business. They're in trouble. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're hurting. Or, they're hurting. Sure. <laughs> order something, yeah.
1: All right. That's it. We did it. Podcast in the books, episode 151. Pauly B, you're going to be back next Thursday, right? I think we got you on the docket for next Thursday. Or we're Tuesday not sure or
2: Thursday, one or the other, once next okay. week. Okay, I so. think it's
1: Ahmed Fareed on Tuesday. I think it's Polly Burmeister back on Thursday. Hey, continue to send questions. We didn't get enough of them today. I'm going to tell Dad when we get done with this podcast, I'm going to call him and say, hey, Dad, shut the fuck up and stop talking so much so we can get to more of the questions. I promise you, fans, keep sending the questions. We're going to get to them Stay safe out there. Everybody, pay attention. Anybody want questions answered about the the league schedule or anything like that, you know where to find me. Pauly, you the man. I'll see see you. Be good. Yeah, good seeing you. Peace out, everybody.